0: And now, here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela.
1: Hello, Missoula. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. The Trail Less Traveled is dedicated to bringing you sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations in the planet. Tonight's interview was recorded on location on an isolated island about 20 miles off the Pacific coast of Panama. It is my hope that the sound of these early morning and eventide egg-laying vertebrates and invertebrates can help transport you, the listener, here with me on location for the trail less traveled. So sit back, relax, turn your speakers up and travel with me, audially, tonight, in Panama. We're sitting here on location on an island about 20 miles off the Pacific coast of Panama. We're on the Pacific side of the island, and the tide is pretty low right now. The tide is coming back up, and it's a beautiful sunny day. We're sitting underneath a little palm tree with some small coconuts hanging above us. And I'm speaking with Nancy Berkstresser. Nancy grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. She spent a lot of time windsurfing and working with her partner, husband, soulmate, Timmy Berkstresser. And they own a catamaran boat that they chartered in the Caribbean for many years. And they sailed through the Panama Canal multiple times. And that's how they found this area that we're at now, on the Pacific side of Panama we're going to talk about that more in detail later thank you first of all Nancy for inviting me to join you on this great adventure
2: thank you so much for interviewing me Mandela I'm happy to be talking with you and sharing my experiences with everybody that's listening
1: Nancy my first question for you is where did you
2: grow up and how was outdoor adventure a part of your childhood I really wanted to be a surfer and just loved every minute of being at the beach and so my mom and I were definitely partners in crime any chance we could get we would take off and go to either Panama City Florida which is pretty famous spring break area or There was a little island that was called St. George Island. It was so beautiful and very few houses, and we would head there just for the day. We'd pack some lunches and take off, and just to be at the beach, it was just so amazing. And also, later on, my parents had bought a house down in Daytona Beach, Florida, and there we could get some good waves, and at that time, by the time I was... 16, 17, I still had not learned to surf. I didn't start windsurfing until maybe I was about 18 years old. I had a friend that was in college in Tallahassee at FSU. Her name was Laura, and she took me on her longboard windsurfing, and that was it. I absolutely fell in love with windsurfing, sports on the water. That was very cool to me, so saved some money and bought myself a windsurf board, and and every chance I could get, I would go windsurfing. I did my LPN nursing in Georgia, which was just across the state line of Florida, so I only had to drive about 45 minutes. After nursing school, I would go back and I would head to the coast near Tallahassee, near Wakulla area. and That was probably about 45 minutes to an hour's drive also to go windsurfing there. And then I started driving down further south and windsurfing there, so I decided, okay... It's time for me to go back to nursing school again. I went to go get my RN degree and I got into a school down in Fort Lauderdale. BCC, and everybody knew that I was a windsurfer because no matter what, when the wind was blowing, I had my windsurf board on top of my car, and the wind was blowing, and I was just shaking to get out the door. Come on, come on, come on, stop asking questions, let's go! (laughs) (laughs) Then I would drive down to Key Biscayne, Florida, one of the first keys off the very southern point of Florida, and it was me and, and a bunch of guys windsurfing every day, just about every day. We had a long board for light winds, finally I learned to shortboard in the high winds and then you could really get going fast and that was my biggest outdoor adventure that took up most of my time you know in my very late teens and early 20s was windsurfing. I also took trips on my own I would take off and okay there's snow falling and I miss some of that skiing so I would drive up to North Carolina and go skiing for a weekend I was pretty crazy as far as what? We only have three days or four days. Let's go. Who wants to go? And every once in a while, I'd get some people to do it. But so many people, they seem afraid to take off on their own and just take out a map and we'll find our way and we'll find a hotel. And without any planning, let's just go. Let's find the adventure. The adventure's on the way. That was pretty much my early childhood adventure before I met my husband.
1: We are on location on an island about 20 miles off the Pacific coast of Panama, speaking with Nancy Berkstresser. Nancy, I'd like to talk to you about windsurfing. It used to be called board sailing back in the day. Tell us about windsurfing and
2: how it differs from regular surfing versus kiteboarding. As far as windsurfing goes, you can have many different size boards, they have long boards. A lot of my friends, when I first started, they were IMCO sailors. They did one design sailing, so everybody had the exact same board, the exact same sail, no matter what the wind conditions were. That was what the Olympic class sailors used to race, or still do race on the IMCO boards, one design. But just like other sports, there's many different ways you can go. There is a short board that you can use in real high wind. There's people that just do wave sailing on the big waves. So you have a board with a fin on the bottom, and then you have a mast that comes up from the middle of the board, and the sail is attached to the mast, and then horizontally you have what's called your booms, and that's what you hold on to is your booms, and you can sheet in and out. Your backhand is your gas pedal, let's say, and if it gets too windy, you let your gas out and let your backhand out. And when you want to get going really fast, you just keep sheeting in that backhand, and you can get flying. And literally, people go 20 feet up in the air. I mean, it's pretty crazy compared to kiteboarding. Now kiteboarding, forget it. They're going way high up in the air. I've tried that a few times, and uh, there isn't many sports that I've tried that actually get my knees shaking. (laughs) but early days in kiteboarding they didn't have the kites totally figured out and you know we had a couple friends get killed kiteboarding just because you couldn't really sheet out and you couldn't cut away from your kite it would take you up in a gust and you could get slammed against something so that's very unfortunate but right now they've made improvements with a kite I don't think people are getting hurt really bad like they used to and then as far as surfing you've got your surfboard which is really nice you just grab your board and go Maybe your rash guard and some wax for your board. Surfing's pretty great that there's just one tool. And then with your windsurfing, you've got your board and your sail and your mast and maybe some different fins depending on the conditions and whether there's weeds or if you're in the waves. And then, of course, with kiteboarding, you've got to have your kite and all the lines. You do have a harness with both kiteboarding and windsurfing which allows you to be able to not use your full muscle strength of your arms the whole time. There's a little hook that's attached to your waist and you can hook into a little loop that hangs from your booms. You can hook in and pretty much let go, you know, you just use fingertips to steer yourself that's always exciting when you're learning to windsurf when you first start to hook in there's quite the learning curve when you don't unhook in time when those big cuss comes you get slingshotted over your board and equipment and get slammed in the water and it's very fun you know it's always fun watching somebody learn windsurfing when they're going through that phase even when you're really good at it and you've been doing it a long time every once in a while you go over the handlebars and it's really exciting
1: we're sitting here on location with Nancy Bergstresser, and Nancy, I would like to ask you what you are looking at right now.
2: We are sitting right now on the top of the beach. Looking down, the tide is mid-tide right now, and uh, one of my favorite things to look at in the world is what I call diamonds on the water. And anytime I get close to the water and I see that just takes my breath away. When the light just shines on the water and you can see all the sparkles, I just absolutely love that. And surrounding our little picture here is palm fronds, just framing our picture of the diamonds on the water. On the end of the island, we have some mountains and there are some beautiful seabirds flying around here. There is also some waves just breaking on rocks. It's absolutely beautiful. We have dark sand here. Not normally what I would think of as my favorite sand because it gets so bloody hot. One unfortunate thing about Panama, maybe many beaches in the world, but in Panama we have gobs and gobs of plastic that wash up on the beach. When you look around here, we have some beautiful, beautiful driftwood coming out of the rivers in Panama and floating up on the beach when there's high tide. But there is also just massive amounts of what I'd say was crocks and sandals, flip flops, toothbrushes, water bottles. Massive amounts. I mean we could just make mountains every month of all the garbage that washes up. So that is really unfortunate. I'd like to take some pictures of the amount of plastic that does wash up on the beach. Styrofoam. But you can certainly look past it and see the beauty here of this beach in Panama that I love so much. And coconuts everywhere, there's coconuts. I think we probably have a 100 coconut trees on our property, and they're just dropping coconuts and making new trees. Every year we have new coconut trees. It's really kind of fun because we have fell in love with drinking what we call pipa. And pipa is the water in the coconut, or the milk, some people call it, in the coconut. And you have different phases of this pipa. You have the really green coconuts, and it more tastes like water. And inside those really watery coconuts is just a really soft layer of almost jelly. People cut open the coconuts, you make a little spoon there. First cut is a little spoon and then they hack the coconut apart and you scoop out that jelly with, with your little spoon that you've made. And also then you have the more yellow coconuts that are starting to really grow the meat inside. And the coconut water really starts to taste like coconut at that point. And the meat is just wonderful. We love making the coconut rice. scrape that coconut and soak it and use that for making some yummy coconut rice and then just munching on it every day. I mean, we eat coconut here every day. We've also found the coconuts, once they start to root into the ground, and you can see the palm fronds starting to sprout out of the coconuts, you can hack those open, and there's almost a sponge inside of there. That's kind of bizarre. We've eaten them, we eat them, but it is very strange, eating a sponge and tasting like coconut. A little bit of fermentation going on sometimes. Who knows if that's more healthy or not, but (laughs) it's fun to experience all the different kinds of coconut here in Panama. Wonderful. Nancy, let's play a song. Let's play a song that reminds you
1: of your early outdoor adventures.
2: This song would have to be something my mom and I used to sing together all the time. And it was a song called Kokomo. And it kind of makes me laugh now because it's probably not something that I would normally play on the radio or save. But her and I, like I said, we'd always go for a beach adventure and we just loved it. We'd stay in the sun all day long, you know, until we saw the sunrise or the sunset. And, and we'd sing that song, Kokomo.
0: Back to Mandela and the Trail Less Traveled. An adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment storytelling.
1: We're sitting here on location about 20 miles off the coast of Panama on an island and we are on the Pacific side of that island looking towards the Pacific. The tide is low, the tide is coming up, we're sitting under a small palm tree with shade cover, about 75% shade cover right now, my toes are getting a little bit warm. We're looking at a lot of beautiful driftwood and coconuts scattered on the beach. I think that my partner is somewhere down the beach surfing on one of the more popular waves to surf here. The surf is very good, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit with my guest today, and that's Nancy Bergstresser. Nancy spent a bit of her childhood in Chicago and in Florida, doing a lot of adventuring in snow and on water. She has a passion for the ocean and did a lot of windsurfing. Nancy, I'd like to ask you about where your adventures took you after you found yourself doing a lot of windsurfing and being in nursing school.
2: Sure, Mandela. I worked as a nurse in Fort Pierce, Florida, and that was on the east coast, a little further south than halfway down, more than halfway down the coast of Florida. And I did some sea kayaking there and windsurfing, of course. And I ended up working about an hour away from where I lived so many times I would go to my girlfriend's house and sleep there during the day because I worked night shift and the bedroom that I used to sleep in there was a guest sleeping in my bedroom (laughs) and he had already left to go surfing for the day But I was telling my girlfriend, okay, let's change the sheets. And she said, no, it's just Berkey. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm a windsurfer. I know who Berkey is. Berkey was kind of a famous windsurf board builder. He windsurfed the World Cup. And I'm thinking, okay, this guy's probably a really grungy, nasty, board-shaping guy that lives with fiberglass and just doesn't take showers. And, you know, he's a surfer. And I thought, come on, let's change the sheets. (laughs) She just kept laughing at me whatever and so i ended up going to sleep and i don't know maybe a couple hours later i hear rummaging around in the room that i'm sleeping in and i think oh my god the guy is in my room <laughs> i'm trying to sleep and so i pretended like i was asleep and a few minutes later i thought okay now we got to go to the bathroom so i walked across the hall and i got a glimpse of him walking to the couch or something And I thought, man, he was good looking. I need to go introduce myself. (laughs) So I did. I went in and introduced myself. And I said, you going to be here when I wake up? (laughs) And he said, yeah. I was thinking about going for a walk on the beach later, if you want to go. And so, yes, I did. I went for a walk on the beach when I woke up. And we walked on a beach called Jensen Beach, Florida. And we walked and talked and... It was magical, everything was clicking. And he was telling me his life story that he was building a 60 foot catamaran with four queen size beds and two cruise quarters. And he didn't have a lot of money. He'd been doing it for five years, building this boat, doing jobs, making money to buy more materials and keep building this boat. And his dream was to go down to the Virgin Islands and charter the boat because he said, well, if I'm going to build a boat, I might as well build one that I can work and make money. So he had sold his windsurf business to get the initial money to build the boat and then started building this boat. And just year after year, working on this boat, he needed to take a little vacation, head across the state to Fort Pierce and do some surfing. So we went on this walk in, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes to an hour into the walk he said you know I'm gonna be leaving pretty soon for the Virgin Islands would you like to be the chef on the boat would you like to go (laughs) I said immediately yes (laughs) it was interesting because I was dating somebody at the time and I called my mom and I said you know mom I met this guy and he asked me to go to the Virgin Islands go on this boat I need to move home and being Catholic she said you know I would never normally give you this advice But if you're thinking you're gonna go and get on a boat with this guy and cross an ocean, I think you need to go over and move in with him and make sure he's not gonna throw you overboard first. (laughs) So I did, I moved over with him and we finished the boat together. The boat had already been in the water for a year. My husband's amazing, he can do so many different things. He said, so do you know how to sew? And I said, well, not really. He goes, well, you're gonna learn. We need curtains, we need sail covers, we need a bimini top. Here's the sewing machine, and he'd give me measurements, help me learn how to measure things, and here we go. I had quit nursing at that point, and I was learning to build boats, and all the things that go along with the boats, we actually were finishing a boat that he was working on at the time. We were putting a new transom on with bait wells in the back of it. Initially, I was pushed right into learning how to work with fiberglass and laying there and thinking, oh, don't touch me. I don't want a sheet to touch me. I don't want anything because everything itches. My eyelids itch. Everything itches. It's so hot and so itchy. We would just stare at each other and we would just get tears in our eyes. We had masks on, fiberglass everywhere, looking as grungy as we could. Oh, we would just get these tears and the shakes and just goosebumps going, I can't believe I found you. Within two or three months, we were talking about getting married. The start of our adventure together came time to get our passports, and we kind of snuck and got married in the front yard of the house because we wanted our passports to have our married name together. And then within six months after that, we came home and did a big family wedding. We got married in our front yard, just with his mom and I and my husband. Then we took off, we took off for the Bahamas. We headed south on the west coast of Florida, around the Keys, and then we took off across the Gulf Stream to the Bahamas, and we spent about three months, we called that our honeymoon, heading towards the Virgin Islands. And it's really interesting because there's a lot of people that say, well, you're either gonna become really close when you start sailing together or you're gonna get divorced right away.
1: We're sitting on an island about 20 miles off the coast of Panama. It is around midday, so the sun is high. We're looking towards the Pacific, and the tide is coming up. I'm speaking with Nancy Berkstresser. Nancy, I'd like to ask you about the first time that you saw this beach.
2: Well, we had been in Panama for probably six months exploring around we were supposed to be heading to Costa Rica. That was our dream. That was our plan. And we fell in love with the Pacific side of Panama. We were in Santa Catalina surfing there during rainy season, and a friend over there said, "If you guys like surfing, if you want to buy property, let me take you out to this island. There's a world-class surf wave here, and some amazing surfing, and property is really cheap." So we took a penga. A panga is a small speedboat, and we came up on this beach. It was pretty terrifying the first time we did it because the waves can be from what we saw 10 to 15 foot waves and we're bringing a little dinghy into the beach and trying to tuck behind some rocks before we get flipped over. We came up onto this beach and absolutely fell in love with it. It is just a perfect little cove facing out to the Pacific with some rocks that create some very treacherous surfing conditions for the top-notch surfers, and then there's also some sand areas where I'd say novice like me can learn to surf in the whitewater. So we bought land here. Within a month after we saw the place, we started taking one little piece at a time and put together a piece of property right here on the beach. It has a little hill, I guess you would say, that it starts at the beach and it goes up and just coconut palms everywhere. There's bananas and plantains and sugarcane and papayas and it's absolutely paradise. And tell our listeners, if you don't mind, quickly about the mission of getting here. What's it like taking buses and taxis and panga boats? Okay, so when we land in Panama City, we take a taxi over to the bus terminal And then from the bus terminal, we take a four-hour bus ride to a city called Santiago. That's where we usually do our provisioning. And then another hour and a half bus ride from Santiago over to the coast. And then we have to take a dinghy or a panga ride from the coast of Panama out to the island where we have a deposito on the east side or the bay side where we have a deposito, we store all of our stuff, so we pick up that stuff, and then we come around to the Pacific side, where we stay sometimes two weeks to a month. We are hopefully going to be spending three to four months of the year here. Nancy,
1: let's play a song. Let's play a song that reminds you of all those times you spent and continue to spend on your 60-foot catamaran boat with your family.
2: I'd have to say the song that I play the most on the boat that reminds me of being at the ocean is a song by Morchiba, and it has something to do with By the Sea. I love Morchiba's albums, and I play that all the time, but the one about the sea is the song that really brings me there.
0: The trail has traveled with Mandela.
1: Our adventures take us today to an island about 20 miles off the coast of Panama. It's a larger island with some mountains that I'm looking at in front of me. Behind there's semi thick jungle, depending on where you're walking. Lots of palms, coconut, driftwood. The tide is coming in. It's about midday. It's warm. The sand is dark very hot sand at times. I'm speaking today with Nancy Bergstresser. Nancy is an adventurer. She grew up in Chicago and Florida. From her early times, she's wanted to be on the ocean, in the ocean, enjoying the ocean, surfing. But mainly what she found herself doing early on was windsurfing and then eventually sailing. Nancy, I'd like to talk to you now about the adventure of raising your two girls on the boat. You had Mia and Luna on you guys' 60-foot catamaran boat near St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. Let's talk about that.
2: Sure. I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but I am a Pisces, <laughs> a fish person. My most comfortable place is in the water. Naturally, I knew when it came time to have my babies, I was going to have them in the water. With my nursing career, I worked in newborn intensive care with a very small preemies, spent some time in the nursery and working on pediatrics. And I knew I did not want to have my babies in a hospital. So when it came time, I was pregnant, and we were living on the boat. I asked my husband, let's do it. I want to do a water birth, and let's do it on the boat. And he said, really? And he thought, okay, I'm game. Let's go for it. And so we did the tests that we needed to do. We had some ultrasounds done to make sure the placenta was in the right place. So there was no red flags. We just went for it. We anchored out pretty close to the main town of St. Thomas, Charlotte or Molly the cruise ships come in and out. We were at a place called Honeymoon Island and we put a baby pool in the cockpit of the boat and filled it up and I did my labor when I was snorkeling I snorkeled around, I walked the decks of the boat with a sarong and I had Luna aboard the boat on honeymoon island and I did my laboring of course on the boat and in the water we decided my labor seemed like it took forever. I was two days having contractions on and off they would come real strong and we knew what we were doing as much as we could I mean I had seen hospital births but I had never seen a home birth except on the computer and so we decided we were going to go snorkeling and I took one of those little water tubes or a noodle we called them a noodle stuck that under my arms my husband had his arm wrapped around me so we decided okay we're over all this contraction and timing stuff let's go let's go for a snorkel. And we saw a little black-tip shark, and we saw a little slipper lobster. We saw an eel and tons of Caribbean, beautiful, colorful fish. We had a great snorkel and came back, and he said, babe, you didn't even have any contractions. And I said, yeah, honey, when I wasn't kicking and you were dragging me along, (laughs) I was just hanging there, I was having contractions. (laughs) It was the perfect way to have a baby. You know, I did it again with the next child. I wouldn't have done anything different. Went ahead and birthed the babies in the baby pool, that was my first one. Luna was born off of Honeymoon Island. And then Megan's Bay is one of the most famous beaches in the world. And she was born in Megan's Bay, again, a water berth in a baby pool in the cockpit of the boat. So these little babies were destined to be a part of the sea, a part of the ocean. Surrounding them from the very first week, I had them in the water, underwater of the ocean. I also used to teach swim lessons and coach a swim team. And I never wanted my kids to be afraid of the water. So from very early, little babies, like I said, every time we went in the water, they went under the water. And that was just part of going in the water. They grew up on the boat until they were two and four years old. But they did some big passages down to the Virgin Islands and back up to Florida. I think they were one in three. We crossed the Caribbean Ocean. We left St. Thomas and headed west towards Panama. It was quite interesting There was a hurricane in front of us and a hurricane behind us, and we decided we were going to go right in between. (laughs) Where we were headed was south of the hurricane belt, so we knew those hurricanes were going to keep tracking west and then at some point turn north. So we figured, you know, if all else fails, we can always drop south if we need to. But it made for a very smooth sailing, being able to tuck in between the two. I have kind of a funny story of when I was putting my one-year-old to bed... I used to lay in bed with her and kind of pretend like I was asleep and rub her back. Well, I had dozed off for a couple moments, like it happens sometimes. When I opened my eyes, the little port window, it's what you call a window on a boat. So it's about one foot wide by six inches tall. And my little one-year-old, Mia, is standing there, and she's got her eyes on me. And as fast as her little hand could go, she was dumping Luna's clothes out the window (laughs) into the middle of the ocean. So (laughs) I thought, oh no, stop! (laughs) And I yelled out to my husband, Babe, didn't you see a line of clothes going by? (laughs) And so, of course, when we ended up in Panama, we had to buy Luna some more clothes because the other ones all went to the bottom of the ocean. She had about four or five little clothing articles left. Mia had dumped them all out the window. (laughs) Also, with the kids, we used to use our sea kayak. We had a two-man sea kayak that we used more like our car to get back and forth from the boat to the beach. That was how we got around and got to the beach every day. And so we were using it all the time. And sometimes where we had to go, there was waves. And we'd put what we called float suits on the girls, which was a one-piece suit. And they had these rectangular little flotation foam devices you could take in or pull out in there. And we would just go for it. We would paddle in and sometimes play and surf in the waves. (laughs) We'd paddle in. And sometimes we'd get rolled. Once the babies were there I would pretty much have a hold of the youngest one So as we were rolling I would be grabbing on And the other one was in my husband's lap And that was one of my daughter's little one-year-old One of her first word was Big wave, big wave (laughs) Because we'd paddle into the wave, into the beach And I would lean back So this kayak wasn't really meant to be a surfing device But we had a lot of fun So I'd lean back so we wouldn't pearl, but sometimes we'd pearl and we'd jump up and we'd clap our hands. Yay! And they'd wipe their face off and, oh, big wave! And we'd say, yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? And so we pretend like nobody would ever get hurt doing something like that, and we'd just all clap and have a good time. Once we crossed the Caribbean Ocean and arrived in Panama, towards the south towards Colombia, there is a chain of islands, I think there's over a hundred islands, and it goes all the way from Panama Canal down and past Colombia, of the Kuna Indians. We spent a couple of months with the Kuna Indians. It was very primitive. They had these coconut islands, and there's a famous piece of art, which is a fabric art that the Kuna Indians make, and they take different layers of fabric, and they put designs, whether it's birds, fish, coconuts, warriors and the women wear those on their chest sewn into the fabric they all wear the same skirt looks like a sarong the same color we got there and we paddled up and there's a chief on the island you have to get permission to go to the islands and we paddled up and my girls Luna and Mia Luna has real curly hair and her hair was kind of like Orphan Annie, (laughs) except brown. And my little one, Mia, was one at the time, and I would put her hair in a little pompon right on the top of her head, made like a fountain, and it was blonde on top. So Luna on the island, with all these Kuna Indians that had not seen very many white people, they wanted to touch her hair. I mean, she had curly hair, and she would cross her arms. She would immediately be surrounded by 15 to 20 children. And they all wanted to touch her hair. And she had her arms crossed across her chest with this gowl on her face. <laughs> and I said, baby, what's wrong? Look at all the children you have to play with. She said, they keep touching my hair. <laughs> I don't like it. So that was kind of interesting, them seeing this light curly haired child. But they were so friendly and would take her hand and want to play and With Mia, it was a little bit worrisome because if I put Mia down, they would immediately scoop her up. What we came to find out, now my husband and I did not know how to speak Spanish when we came across to Panama. We had a dictionary we bought on the way. I started making a list, one word at a time. And so I thought, okay, now we have at least two pages front and back of words that we knew. And we came to the San Blas Islands with the Cuna Indians, and they didn't speak Spanish. (laughs) So there was a lot of charades Well, once I would put Mia down, they'd scoop her up, and they would take off running. It was mazes and mazes of these little ramshack huts that were made of bamboo, different wood material with thatched roofs, and inside were hammocks and a lot of cooking going on. There was smoke. It smelled wonderful in there, but like I said, it was a maze, so... They took off with my daughter, and I thought, Tim, you got Luna, I'm sticking with Mia. (laughs) And I followed, and they would go, and they would hold her up, and they would go in each little hut, and they'd hold her up and do a circle, like just showing her off. They were being very respectful, very kind, but even though I was a little worried, because they were moving fast, and I didn't know if I would be able to find her. And so I just trailed them, and she seemed okay. (laughs) So we went through all these little huts, and they did their circle and showed her off, and they all wanted to touch her, but I also found out that little girls were not to have their knees or their feet really touch the ground. So when I would put her down, they'd pick her up. They didn't think they should be getting dirty. The boys were okay, but the girls, no. They would get passed from one mom to the next, one young girl to the next, and they were very well taken care of. I don't know how they ended up learning to walk. (laughs) But they were very well taken care of and loved there in the San Blas Islands. We're on location off the coast of Panama,
1: speaking with Nancy Bergstresser. Nancy had her two girls, Luna and Mia, on her and her husband's 60-foot catamaran boat outside of St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. Nancy, I'd like to talk to you about raising the girls and introducing to them the activities that you and Timmy enjoyed, sailing, dirt biking, windsurfing, surfing in general, and having it be this balance of introducing it to them, making sure they feel comfortable in the out of doors, but also not
2: pushing it on them, that this is something that they have to do. All along, it was quite interesting. From Learning from your partner a sport can get quite interesting, but also your children, teaching your children something that you love to do can also be very interesting and challenging. I, I remember I have taught hundreds of children to swim, and I was always a favorite swim teacher. We had so much fun. They'd be laughing, and they'd learn so fast. And then I had my Luna come along, who was very much of a water baby. She was so comfortable in the water because we were just always in the water. But if I wanted to teach her how to do something, and, you know, I'd have immediately other children up ready to play my game, and then all of a sudden she'd cross her arms and she'd start looking at me She'd put her eyebrows down, and she'd say, "Are you tricking me into learning something?" And I thought, "Oh boy <laughs> okay, well, you can't always learn from your parents a lot of things, and it's good to learn from other people, but we just decided our philosophy was, "You know these children they come through us and they're meant to be their own people, and they're going to have their own personalities, and we can just gently guide them." a little this way a little that way but they really have to do the things that they love and the things that they're going to learn at their own speed and what they're comfortable with we stay outdoors and we do all kinds of things but there's definitely they'll put the brakes on and say no i'm not comfortable with that i don't want to do it especially trying to hold my husband back (laughs) and say no we've got to do it a different way because we don't want him to hate it or be frightened we did that once with luna And we've had to go backwards and really get her to get comfortable again in the water. So we're sitting here on the beach on the Pacific coast of Panama, and there is a cow walking down the beach. There's always some interesting wildlife that we see running up and down the beach, but this is the first cow that has ventured out here. Unfortunately, I think it's trying to drink the salt water. But anyhow, I was talking about the experience with Luna we frightened her enough that she decided she never wanted to go fast on a boat or be on a, a small boat that went past. When we were anchored off this island and taking the panga in and out, we had pulled it up on the beach, and this tide goes out 100 feet at least, Our panga was stuck way high, high and dry on the beach, and it was too heavy to just push it down to the water easily. We had to get pieces of bamboo that had washed up and palm fronds, and we had to line them up like one or two feet apart, and we'd push the boat that far, and we'd line it up. This particular night, the sun was setting quickly, and we were trying to get the boat down to the water so we could get off the island and in our beds for the night. We didn't have any provisions. We didn't have a well at the time and we had these two little babies. We got the boat out to the water to the surf and it was probably 12 foot surf at least and my husband was the captain of our boat and I would stay at the front of the dinghy and try to keep the boat directly into the waves until we were out far enough until he could see the sets coming in And try to time it so we could go out through these waves. Unfortunately, the sun had set, and we had one other gentleman with us besides my husband, my two daughters, and myself. We had one other gentleman. He was on the front of the boat and helping me also keep the boat into the waves. And my husband said, let's go. So we jumped into the boat, and unfortunately, he did not see an outside cleanup set coming in, which was some huge, huge waves. And our boat went almost vertical up this wave, and we could have very easily gone over backwards with the babies in the dark. You know, I was on them, my two children, like a crab on a rock, you know, just trying to hold them down each of their arms and trying to get as heavy as I could. So if we did flip, I would have their arms, I could either swim out with them or swim in. So we went over this big wave, and then after you go over it, there's a huge drop on the back side of the wave. Kabow! You know, and you hear the anchor slam, and, and I'm slamming down on top of them, you know, because we're all airborne at this time. And then he yells, one more! And so we've got another wave to go over. And again, it's almost vertical, where it's just about going over backwards, and then we drop down the back side of the wave. And, you know, you try to tell your kids everything's fine, everything's okay, but you know they can feel when you get nervous and when you know you had screwed up. And we let them know we did, we screwed up, we're sorry that you know we're never going to let that happen again. But Luna was pretty frightened; she knew something bad could really happen there how I was holding on to her and keeping her flat and <laughs> keeping them completely under me. We had to go backwards with her. She's still to this day. Now she's 12 years old, and we to this day still have to, I'd have to take her out in the boat and go slow and let her know everything's okay, and maybe that's just a different way that she learns. She likes to learn things slower, more like myself. I, I like to do it myself. I like to be in control and learn things slow. Mia is balls to the walls like her dad says and riding motorcycles and she doesn't necessarily check to see if it's safe first (laughs) and luna wants to know is everything going to be okay you know are we all going to be safe is anybody going to get hurt how can i get hurt if i do this and how can we get out of it she learns differently than mia does i think it's really important for parents to recognize the different ways children learn and if you're going to be outdoor adventurers to really be respectful of their limits of what's okay with them and how to go about teaching them so they don't end up hating it we have
1: been on location on a semi-isolated island about 20 miles off the coast of panama we are looking towards the Pacific Ocean, and I've been speaking with Nancy Berkstresser. Nancy, thank you so much for letting me speak with you on the trail less traveled, and specifically thank you for inviting me on this adventure with you and your family. I've had a grand time, and I've laughed a whole bunch.
2: You're so welcome, Mandela. It's so fun to share this with you and your partner, Wesley, our nephew. We love having you guys here. It's quite an adventure. Not a lot of people would be up for this kind of adventure without air conditioning, with the no-seams in the morning and at night. It's super fun. We love it, and we're glad that you
1: guys love it too. Nancy, I'd like to end this program with three outdoor adventure tips.
2: So the first outdoor adventure tip I'd like to share is being aware of the fear that comes I think that's such a part of adventure, and there's certain people that like to ignore it completely, and then there's certain people that like to glom onto it and let their mind just run away with the stories. What can happen? And oh, jeez! Jeez! A palm prawn just almost took us both out. <laughs> but we're okay <laughs> with fear. <laughs> I like to use that as a sign point of just something that says pay attention. Okay, so now that I'm talking about fear, we we almost wet ourselves here. We had a huge palm frond just about take the two of us out. But as far as fear goes, I think it's great to pay attention to fear, you know, to really look at it and say, if fear comes up inside of you to think, okay, something could happen here. Let's review it quickly Sometimes it's just quickly If something goes wrong here How can I get myself out of it And then go on from there Sometimes you may make the decision to not do it But usually I think once you really look at All the different ways of having fun And fears involved There are safe ways of doing things Going into the second one is safety I think so many people are so safety conscious That they end up not living And it is a time where, you know, helmets have become so important and life jackets. And, oh, if if you don't have all the safety gear, you can't do anything. And, And I understand it. Helmets have definitely saved my husband's life and his motocross riding. He's gotten knocked out before. My daughter, when we were out mountain biking, she has cracked her head so hard. Her helmet was broken. We thought for sure she'd be dead. But by no means do we not go bike riding without helmet. We go. We do it. If we don't have it at the time, we go for it. If it looks like a normal thing, things can happen when you're walking down the beach. Things can happen when you're in a car. We take the precaution when we can, but we're not so hung up on it that we don't live. It's really more about the adventure to me rather than, oh, somebody got a broken arm or a broken toe. You know, it, it happens. And it can happen if you're just hanging a fan and you step off the chair wrong. Why not have some fun in your life? The third outdoor adventure, have a few first aid things available. We come out here to this island, and I have the nursing background, but so many of the things that I've learned in nursing I kind of go 180 degrees with, <laughs> although there's a lot of great things I did learn. Some basic antibiotic ointment, something to stop some bleeding gauze pads, even if you have superglue, something to glue stuff together with, some anti-inflammatory We do have a little first aid kit with us, just about all the time. (laughs) Not all the time, but when we come to Panama, we have it. Depending on where we're going, we keep stuff with us, just so things don't get out of hand. We spent some time in the jungle, and my daughter ended up getting a bot fly in her ankle. That was kind of exciting. And then I just put the surfboard through my lip, busted my teeth. I'm talking a little bit funny because I'm recovering from that about a week ago. Got hit with my surfboard while surfing, and my board went through my top lip and chipped my teeth. And I was very happy that I had some anti-inflammatory ibuprofen. I had some arnica, which is good for swelling. took it internally, little tablets, also topically, put that on, something to clean it with. There's all kinds of stuff you can have. I mean, I, I wouldn't say get carried away, but be prepared. Things happen when you're having fun. Constantly tell my daughters when they come out with a bumper or a bruise, yes, good job, you must have been doing something fun because you got a new cut or a new bruise. If you're sitting on the couch, you're not going to get any bruises or cuts, right? <laughs> so I think that's part of it. Being ready for an owie <laughs> is what I always say to them. Be ready.
1: Something fun could happen. We've been on location speaking with Nancy Bergstresser. We're sitting under a semi-safe palm frond tree. The Norte wind is blowing off and on. It wasn't blowing when that fell, but it definitely was loud, and it was right behind us. Right now, I'm really enjoying leaning back and looking at these beautiful Brahma cows that are coming down to the beach. I think they're looking for fresh water. Nancy, with that, let's end this show with a song. What song would you like to end the show with?
2: So I'd like to share some of my favorite music with you all, some Jack Johnson. It really gets me in the mood to go have an adventure. I used to listen to quite a bit of Jack Johnson before I'd go windsurfing. When I was sitting in my car warming up or just trying to rest my hands and having a snack to get out and go have more fun, I'd sit there and listen to some Jack Johnson in the car.
1: Namaste, Missoula. You have been listening to The Trail Less Traveled, the community's source for adventure information and inspiration, an adventure series with a new interview coming out every week. Subscribe to The Trail Less Traveled on iTunes, and check out traillesstraveled.net to view pictures and read biographies about other guests featured on the show. I would like to thank my guest for this week, Nancy Bergstresher. Nancy wanted to be a surfer from a young age, and was able to pursue her dream when her family moved from Chicago to Florida. Nancy focused on windsurfing and met her husband through the sport. Nancy and Timmy Bergstresser ran charters on their 60-foot catamaran sailboat, which they built, and they decided to raise their two girls, Luna and Mia, on the sailboat. Luna and Mia were born in a kiddie pool in the cockpit of the sailboat, Anchored in the Virgin Islands. When they are not in Florida, the family is building a home on that isolated island. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. My goal for the show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment. Storytelling. Every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you, yes, you, can start adventuring in the same fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded in Missoula or on location around the world in order to find these adventurers and talk to them in their natural habitat. My adventure tip this week is to wear long layers to cover up any exposed skin in the morning and evening when traveling in any tropical climate that may host no andor and or mosquitoes. If you get bitten by one of these creatures, whatever you do, try not to scratch the spot. That's it for this week, Missoula. But until next week's adventure in Panama, please get outside and shred the gnar. Because the thing about the gnar is, it doesn't shred itself.